on, everyone? Welcome on in to another episode of Golf on Tap. Today, we got a very good episode coming to you all as we're going to be breaking down Nick Taylor's win at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Just some thoughts on the tournament as a whole as well. Got to talk about Charlie Hoffman, the Seagulls' late surge to put himself into contention. It looked like the tournament was his for a little bit there. And then also, we got Tiger Woods returning this week at the Genesis Invitational Riviera Country Club. It's an elite field. Uh, we also got some more Tiger Woods news to get into as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good show. Excited for it, for sure. Make sure everyone who's out there, go and jump into the YouTube feed as well so you can interact with us all throughout the episode. Go and comment down below. And brand new as well, we're now on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So if you haven't done so already, it would mean a lot if you go to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. There, as always, I'm Jack Bushman, joined by my partner in crime, Ross Barron. Ross, we had a pretty epic tournament that came down to the wire, unfortunately, it ended up creeping into Super Bowl time, so I don't know how many eyes in particular were on that as uh, the start of Super Bowl 58 kicked off, but a pretty unbelievable tournament, man. There was a lot of uh, nuances throughout the way. I thought there was a lot of ups and downs, but uh, a pretty good finish nonetheless. But before we get into uh, Nick Taylor coming through with the win, an incredible showing from him down the stretch, Charlie Hoffman and all that stuff. Uh, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? How's, uh, how's Super Bowl Monday treating you? Are you a little slow moving like I am today? <laughs> Uh, I got to work from home today, so it was pretty freaking sweet after we got home kind of late from Emily's parents' house last night after watching. But <clears throat> I have been busy all day between work. As soon as we got off work, I went and wrote some articles about things we're going to talk about because, like you said, it is it was just a wild weekend this week at Waste Management. Yeah, it was wild to say the least. And make sure everyone out there to uh, go and show some love to the Golf on Tap X page. You can check out all of our latest articles there. Ross has been writing up a lot of good stuff. I have tournament previews and my favorite betting cards every week. So make sure to go and check out on Tap Sportsnet as well. And uh, also make sure to go and follow us on X. You can find Ross's account at RossJohn22. For me, I'm at Jack Bushman 2 And also, if you're going to be betting this week, I know it's a pretty big event. Maybe there are... Uh, some first-time betters out there because of the field and Tiger Woods' return. Make sure to use the promo code on tap at Bet Rivers to get up to a $250 match. Ross, though, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, there was a lot going on throughout the four days between uh, the weather delays, the scheduling, how they went about the final day, not regrouping and not changing the whole locations, uh, the fans, you know, the alcohol that was flowing there caused some chaos. Um, what were kind of your thoughts as a whole, just the, the Waste Management Phoenix Open as a tournament, not Nick Taylor, not Charlie Hoffman, just the Waste Management Phoenix Open as a tournament. What do you what do you think? I actually found this really unfortunate this year for them because I think just they got off to a bad start with the weather delays, everything. It put them behind eight ball for the for the rest of the week. It just for me wasn't necessarily the hype you you typically get out of this tournament every every single year it, it just seemed kind of a shell of itself and it's nothing that you know the pga can act directly control i mean it, it's the weather they got put behind from from the start and it was unfortunate and it led to the more unfortunate events i mean you know we got people falling out of the bleachers and things like that because it's such a prolonged day that people are drinking more they're you're there longer 
that it just kind of you know encompassed in a one huge shit show to for lack of a better word this year where i i do feel bad because i don't think that's the product that they're necessarily you know pushing for i think some of that did get lost in in all of this and overall it is a great tournament to watch yearly but this year i think it got away a little bit i do think they're gonna reel it back and they're gonna they're gonna tame they're gonna tame it and be able to control it but i think this is just one of the things that was really out of their hands and they were stuck scrambling to put on the best show possible and you know what at the very end, we did get a great show for anyone that did stick around. I know it went into the second quarter of the Super Bowl. I stuck around because my eyes had to be on how this was going to finish. And I'll tell you what, based on what went down in the first half of that Super Bowl, golf was way better must-see TV down the stretch than the Super Bowl was. But I, I do feel the same way. I, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a mixed bag where I feel like this was a series of unfortunate events that led to this tournament being as ruckus as it could have been just because of the weather. And like you said, that's something that the PGA tour can't control. And no matter how they went about those final two rounds, Saturday was always going to be a slosh fest because of how long it was like just, just because people were there for so long an extended period of time. Saturday is normally the most chaotic day in its own, right? Because it's the first day after the weekend. Um, the non-serious golf fans, I feel like, are, are more so inclined to go because the Super Bowl's on Sunday. They got their own plans for that day set in stone. And I feel like it, it just really kind of brought out the worst of this tournament, which was really unfortunate because it is a great event. And it year after year really has a great finish. But I, I do wonder how it's going to evolve moving forward. Like I said, I do think this was a series of unfortunate events for the PGA Tour, um, and I don't think this is an accurate depiction of what this tournament is year in and year out, but I, I would not be surprised if we see some players, especially if this isn't a signature event next year, which I don't think it's going to be because it kind of has that allure in and alone of itself, right? You don't like need to force the top guys who go there because it seems like Scotty obviously loves it. It's the only place he puts semi well until it, you know, kind of matters. We'll get into that in a little bit. Jordan Spieth loves it. Uh, Justin Thomas, you know, the, the big names do still feel like they're going to come year in and year out, but I wouldn't be surprised, Ross, if we see that middle of the pack kind of get a little bit lighter, just based on if you're not a star, it feels like it does kind of suck. Like we saw so much stuff on social media over the weekend from uh, Billy Horschel chirping at fans for someone yelling in one of Akshay's backswings. Uh, Benny on was super vocal on social media throughout it saying it's just become out of hand. Uh, Willie Wilcox, the caddy for Sung JM also had some comments about it this morning. Then of course we had the Zach Johnson incident that went down on Sunday as well. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on, on that ZJ situation and also just what you think this tournament is going to look like this time next year. So first of all, the, the Zach Johnson thing, I was, I was trying to take it with, with a grain of salt and I was looking both ways because I can see bo both ends of it are Yes, I, I get the frustration. Zach Johnson came out and said, I've played this event 21 years. It just gets more and ridiculous, and they lose more control every single time. But also, I was laughing at some of the chirps that he was getting, you know, online. I, I retweeted a couple of them because they were out there. As, if I'm paying $300 for a ticket and $20 for a beer, I'm going to tell Zach Johnson I thought he sucked at the Ryder Cup. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I see both ends of it. I see where Zach is and 
being the guy that he is, I'm sure he's like trying to defend all the players and not just himself in a certain situation like that, if I had to guess. But at the same point in time, it's like ZJ, you got to you gotta kind of pick your battles of when you should get fired up. I mean, where was that intensity when the Americans were down like four or five points going into Sunday? We saw none of that out of ZJ in Italy. I, I mean, I, I, I laugh because like, I get it. I get the emotion behind it. Like it's a tough thing for him to take. It's going to follow him for a very long time in a, in a very successful career. Like it's, it's going to follow him that <clears throat> how, how bad he botched that. Right. We're not going to forget. <clears throat> but the thing is the fact that he just let all nerve and everything go and just turn in there. Like who said it? I know what you said. No, don't call me, sir. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Yeah, it was quite quite the display there from ZJ. Uh yeah, could have used could have used a little bit more of that in Italy. But, but I, I go ahead. I, I was gonna say, but like to, to top on like what, what you said with where this event falls in the schedule, I also agree it's not gonna be a signature event. Because if you look at the schedule where it is, we all we already have we end up having the Amex, we end up having the farmers, we have we have Pebble Beach. All leading up to this event, they're not going to mark this as a signature event because they're going to because it's too many signature events too quick in the season, and they do need to spread them out. I mean, look at we've already had we've already had three of the ten were what seven weeks into the season. Exactly, like they, they need they need to keep it spread out. We're very simple for the guys that don't enjoy this tournament moving forward. Skip it. Your 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 big boys, your pros. You get you get to lay out your schedule and compete where you want to compete. If you don't like it, skip it. It's that simple. Everyone's still going to show up. You're going to have JT. You're going to have Jordan. You're going to have Ricky. All these guys that do love the event, and they do and they do embrace the fan culture and interaction. Justin Thomas misses a short birdie putt on 16, and he's telling the crowd, let, let me have it. I sucked. There, and there are some guys that I feel like can handle that energy a little bit better and kind of turn it into more positive ways for themselves when they feel like, <laughs> Uh, it, it's more so people that I think know them is one thing too. I feel like the guys who are a little bit more unknown are more likely to hear it or to get a yell in their backswing or something of, of those causes. So yeah. And, and because of the schedule, you know, they have to keep Pebble beach as a signature event because we've seen what that field looks like the last handful of years when they don't, people will skip it, even though it's Pebble beach. And quite frankly, like you need Pebble beach to be a signature event. That course is too good to allow it to be that bad of a field like it was in years past. And then there's the Genesis, which is Tigers event. That's never not going to be a huge attraction for people to go to. And they're always going to keep that a signature as well. And just given the waste management's history, they they really don't need to. And like we said, I, I think the big guns are still going to show up. Will some of the middle of the pack guys elect to skip? Yeah, and they should do so if they don't like this tournament, like you said. But all in all, I, I don't think we're going to lose the luster of this tournament when it's all said and done. I just think this one year was a little bit more out of hand and it kind of got blown up kind of everywhere on social media as well, which didn't do it any favors. So I'm really curious though, to see how, it, how it's going to go next year um, with it, with everything that went on this year. I did want to ask you as well though, Ross, what you thought of the broadcast over the weekend, because obviously Kevin Kisner and Smiley Kaufman were on site at the par three 16th calling shots live. Kisner was booing people. Uh, to their face if they weren't hitting the green on 16. What you kind of think of that? Because I, I loved what Smiley and Kiz were doing, and I think they need to be 
together on broadcast more frequently, but at the same point in time, it's the same problem for golf, man. They're showing, they're showing shots that don't matter too frequently, at least in my mind, especially when it's a Saturday afternoon, I texted you about it. We got Sam Burns, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Sahithi Gala, all <laughs> in the mix. And we're missing shots of them so we can see Ben Griffin, who's at even par, misses par putt from eight feet. What what were kind of your thoughts on the broadcast on Saturday in particular? Well, any time you can get away from, you know, Steve Sands in the booth talking oh about hearing Steve Sands wants to hear Steve Sands talk about Steve Sands. Um. I personally loved it. I thought the implementation of the 16th hole, having Smiley and kids there and just chirp the guys on the box. And the best part is they were chirping them before they even hit. Like it wasn't after the shot, or anything like they're walking up, their guys are walking up to tee it up and kids is already chirping away. Like, just so you know, like they're, they're ready for you to put this in the bunker. And what's what I love about kids too is, he hasn't come on the broadcast and changed. He's come on and been himself a hundred percent full. And that's exactly what we wanted is for kids to be himself out there. And he's not afraid to throw a little shade at some guys because it, it feels like he's just got that energy about him. Even if the guy critiques you, you're like, Oh, it's just kids kind of shooting the shit. You know, like you can kind of just laugh and nudge it off. He's got that type of energy. And then Smiley's just like the happy go lucky guy of the mix. Who's just along for the party and uh, ha- has a pretty funny history. And they put him in some funny situations. I-, I love that duo personally. And I'm excited, hopefully to see more of it in the future. I mean, I think Smiley's the perfect, like I'd like to say puppy dog to have, to have on the broadcast. He's just so happy to be there and, and take in the moment and everything. And then you got kids who's just not afraid to fire it off the hip. Where Smiley's like, well, he, what he really needs to do is, you know, play, is play a draw here and 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 cut and cut it in there, and then all of a sudden, as soon as it's hit, you'll just hear kiss. Oh, that shit! <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I uh, feel like it's my my personal duty now to just dog Steve Steve Sands anytime he says something so outlandish on the broadcast. It's gotten so out of hand, dude. Like the guy the amount of putts that he jinxes is unbelievable. And he like apologizes for it. Every time he does it, he's like, I'm, I'm just going to shut up now, Steve, you say this every week. Like someone's got like a five and a half, six footer. He's like, he's such a good putter. I'm just going to give this one to him. And then he misses it. And it's like, what are we doing here? And we're still on the dude, even on Sunday as someone who was backing Sahithi Gala and, and trying to, you know, nervously watch every shot of his, there were like two holes where we completely missed what he did until he got to the green. And it's like a moment ago, how are we still doing this in 2024 at one of the biggest, if not the biggest non-major on the schedule. And we still have Steve Sands doing these things. And we still feel like we're behind, even though there's six or seven guys in the mix, we're still shots behind. I know I'm a broken record here. I do feel like it's my responsibility though, to, to, to dog the broadcast once again, because other than Smiley and uh, Kiz, I didn't have many good things to say. Uh, I mean, I feel bad for Sam Burns because I'm pretty sure Sam Burns alone became victim to Steve Sands at least three times on that broadcast. Oh, here we go to Sam Burns on the sixth with a four footer for birdie. And Steve Sands literally jumps in to say, oh, he's so, he's so hot right now. It would be such a shame if he missed this. And he misses it. And it's like, just shut up. Dude, if I had money on Sam Burns this week, I would have been 10 times more furious than I usually am at Steve Sands because, yeah, the the 
announcer jinx that he like accidentally on purpose does week in and week out. It's like, dude, just give it a rest. Let these guys hit the shots again. We don't need your input before every shot, Sanzi. Like, just just let the golf do the work out there. It's it's so easy, and they make it so complicated. But it's just like everything with the PGA Tour. We get it week in and week out, so I'm not I'm not surprised whenever it does happen. It just continues to infuriate me. But I digress. We'll move on from that point. We got to talk about Nick Taylor, though, Ross, because I thought he was dead to rights, and even going into that Sunday, and look. I know what Nick Taylor has done, even though he's a guy you usually find like at the bottom of the Oz boards. And if you play DFS, he's not one of the more higher priced guys, but going into this week, he still had three career PGA tour wins, a massive win. The first Canadian to win the Canadian open since I believe the sixties or fifties, or maybe even before that had a really solid performance hanging with Scotty Scheffler, even though he came up on the losing end last year, like we, we knew Nick Taylor was a capable player. I don't think we knew Nick Taylor had the stones like he displayed late in Sunday. And that's what I think I'm the little bit most sad about with the broadcast going into the Super Bowl because Charlie Hoffman was nails there, but Nick Taylor was double as nails when it mattered. Birdieing 15, birdieing 16, and then he misses the birdie on 17. And I'm like, oh boy, he's really got to go and make a three on 18. Not only does he make a three there, he makes a three both times in the playoffs. And I believe you texted me earlier today that he made every putt on the day inside of 18 feet. I wasn't even really thinking about Nick Taylor going into Sunday. I was more concerned about Scotty Scheffler, about a red hot Sam Burns who was turning it around and getting right back out there on the course. But Nick Taylor, man, unbelievable stones down the stretch. What'd you think of his performance to get it done? Oh, no. I mean, what, what you just said, what you were chatting about earlier, what was the only stat that I, I needed to know for, I think, with the combined rounds, end of three going into four, I saw it flash several times. I might get it a little bit incorrect, but it was like he basically made everything between those two rounds from 18 feet or less. If it was a birdie attempt or a par attempt, he sunk it. Other than, other than obviously, other than the the one um, on set seventeen or or whatever, that was one of the only outliers of a putt he missed the entire round that got him up there. Where he literally, at this point, with the clutch putts he's hit in the past year, I'm convinced he just has ice running through his veins. Like and- he li- he lives for that for that moment where it's not an option to him that this isn't going in. I, I'm going to knock this down, and we're on to the next. And there were some real big boy putts in there that he hit too. The one on, I want to say it was six or seven to kind of get him going because he got off to a terrible start to that final round. Off of the first tee, he like shanked it. He hit it like 190, 200 yards, a low low cut right off the tee. It's like a 430-yard hole, and he had like 205 yards left in. And what was really impressive to me, after even after he sank that like 40 footer, it was either on seven or eight, whatever it was to get him going. But that Novak and the Gala group that he was in did not have it in the final round. Like there was no momentum there. And for Nick to go and just muster that up himself down the stretch. I mean, it looked like it was Charlie Hoffman's tournament. And then he just went on an incredible run there at the end, his fourth PGA tour victory, undoubtedly the biggest of his career Uh, figure. He was already going to be a, a key piece of that international president's cup team, but now has officially uh, solidified his spot. But Charlie Hoffman, man, you, you gotta feel a little bit bad for the Seagull because uh, an incredible run that he went on to finish 
the third round on Sunday morning. I believe he birdied the final four holes there, turned it around immediately and was just like lights out through 15 and then 17. It feels like was the one that he really let get away, even though he did make a, a ridiculous birdie putt there. The approach should have been much better. Uh, and then missing that putt on 18 by one or two inches short. Um, had a feeling with the way that Nick Taylor was playing there, like that one might end up costing him, but still an incredible story, even without the victory for 47 year old Charlie Hoffman, who like hasn't flashed real, like winning upside in a long, long time. It was really cool to see what Charlie Hoffman was able to do this weekend, even without coming away with the win Ross. Well, even more impressive. I don't know if you saw, um, what happened to him today that they were telling the whole story that two weeks ago he was texting and talking to tiger about the genesis and asking like hey i know i don't have the points is there any way i could get you know an exemption into this and tiger texted him and told him as of right now i'm sorry like what we're we're full and then charlie came out today and said he woke up this morning looked at his phone and there was a text from tiger woods letting him know you're in yeah, that's awesome that he he did play his way into the Genesis. A little bit of a silver lining there. But, dude, what he did those first 15 holes, I mean, was a, an absolute showstopper. Don in the waste management logo, as he's done for a long, long time. Uh, it, was a, it was a real good feel-good story. And for him to even answer with that birdie putt in the first playoff hole, too, was, was really crucial. Um, so I was really impressed with what I saw out of the Seagull this weekend. I mean, especially the seagull is so well respected on tour. Oh, yeah, he's 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 been on tour for for twenty years now, and I don't know if you saw any of the flashes of when he put it when he put it out on eighteen and went into the clubhouse and was watching Nick Taylor wrap up. They kept flashing to him, and all he saw was Jordan Spieth, J- Justin Thomas, all the guys coming through and patting him on the back, like giving him a hug, shaking his hand. He's just so well-respected that everyone, everyone legitimately loved that Charlie went low and had a round of his life in that, in that moment, everyone came to pay their respects and tell him he did a great job because he's so well-respected and it does suck. You know, you, you can't discount the performance. It went, it went to a playoff. Nick, you got Nick nails, Taylor knocking down putts late that, just about anyone else on tour is going to be missing that is going to miss one of these. He just so happened not to and put together an all around performance just as Charlie did. So you, you can't discount anything. And I'm happy that it was noticed and he got into the field this upcoming week to allow, to allow him go off, go off a hot streak, man. You, you never know people, people come and go and he's played so well to end that that I would be excited to see, you know, if he just even makes the cut this week and grab another payday. And we've seen a lot of guys kind of figure it out these last couple of years and come from seemingly like out of the deep end, out of nowhere to kind of restore their career. Benny on is a, a prime example of that. It seemed like he was long gone for a long, long time. And now he's playing in all of these signature events, these big boys. Uh, and Charlie, like you said, a very well-respected, well-liked guy on tour. I don't think anyone could say a bad word about Charlie Hoffman. So hopefully more uh, well-playing for the Seagull moving forward. But Ross, I think we also got to talk about Scotty Scheffler because it really looked like he was on track to become the first player to three-peat in events. And Steve Stricker did that to the John Deere Classic way back in from 2009 to 2011. Scheffler was absolute nails from the start of the third round on Sunday morning to 
about hole 11. Like I know there was a stretch where he birdied 10 of 14 holes and just everything. It, it, it was elite Scotty off the tee in the middle of fairway, hitting every approach shot to 12 to 15 feet. It really looked like he was on his way to picking up his first win since the players last year until the putter let him down a little bit late. I think, you know, that's obviously the takeaway that everyone's going to have, but another just reminder of how good Scotty Scheffler's approach game is because literally I, outside of the one bogey that he had that kind of set everything going downwards, the, the only issues in his game legitimately is the putter, man. It's, it's the only thing holding him back. And from T to green, he basically is the best thing we've seen since Tiger Woods. From what we saw in the third round through the 12th hole of the fourth round, that Scotty Scheffler is the best player in the world. And not only the best player in the world, the most unstoppable player in the world. You are not going to win a single freaking tournament, nor are you going to have a chance at winning that tournament if that man shows up. The Scotty Scheffler we saw 13 through 18 in the fourth round is the reason that Scotty Scheffler has not been around for almost a year. Yeah, and man, it, it really felt there like once you see a few putts roll in for Scotty, it's full-blown lookout mode because if he's even putting at the field average, you know he's going to absolutely run away with it. But like you mentioned, when it comes down to crunch time, it feels like when the stress gets put on that putter a little bit more is usually when it kind of falls for him when it does get to those crunch time and he needs to knock down those uh, five to six footers. But man, they're, it's annoyingly good, dude. When as someone who is backing Sahith the Gala, trying to chase him down all throughout that round, got my heart broken on Sunday. Unfortunately, it is what it is. We move on, but that that whole end of that third round in the front nine uh, of the final round, I was so angry internally because, like I said, Scotty Scheffler is just annoyingly good. Where you think about it, and it's like golf golf should not be this easy. People don't make this game look this easy, but when he just gets it going in the right way, um, there's there's truly nothing out there like it. And I, I know there's still ways for Scotty to go with the putter, but and it did let him down in crunch time again. I'm still leaving this week encouraged about Scotty Scheffler's upside the rest of the year. What were kind of what are kind of your thoughts on that? Because it has almost reached a full calendar year outside of the Hero World Challenge, believe it or not that he's won an event, not an official PGA tour event, but I, I, I do feel like it's coming soon, man. And I, I almost feel like it could be this week at Riviera. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's been world number one for, for so long with, which we we've talked about and it's, it's just the putter. He, he is basically in first in everything off the tee and in between until we get to the green and it's knocking down the putts. He's, I don't want to, it, I mean, when you say like dead last, it, it, you take it with a grain of salt. He's like six, somewhere between 60 and 80th in putting stats on, on tour where it, it, it's just, just barely good enough to make the cut realistically on other, on every single week on the tour is like where his putting averages when he's number one in like strokes gained off the tee, everything like that in between. So I do think this was a huge stepping stone for him to figuring out the figuring out the game. And I think it's just he's playing more consistently and he's starting to show up at these events. He took a, a while off and 
you know, wasn't really playing in anything we were watching, anything of significance. And I do think he's, he's trending and swinging in the right direction. And if he can figure out the putter, uh, I, I don't want to be a player in that field. Yeah, look out if that ever does happen from world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Before we move on from the Waste Management Phoenix Open, I do want to get your thoughts on Sahithi Gala's final round, man, because uh, it, not a great third round, but I was more certainly more encouraged by the play that he had to finish round three than how he started round four at the end of Saturday when it seemed like it was just a really long day. He couldn't get anything going. The, the front nine on in the final round, um, it just felt like whenever he had an actual look, he couldn't buy the putt until like 10 and 12, I believe he birdied until that three jack that he had that really put him out of it. Um, but man, it felt like, and we've talked about this on and on about Sahith. This is really the conversation and what we mentioned last week when kind of talking about why we liked him, Ross. The driver was pretty good through those first three rounds. It stunk in that final round, man, and just put him in such bad positions where, especially with Scotty making birdies like the way he was, Nick Taylor making birdies late, um, Charlie Hoffman going absolutely bananas there. Like he put himself so behind the eight ball with the driver in the final round, I thought. Well, when I was watching the coverage, if I don't know how closely you were watching like the commentary and stuff. When he hit about midway into the fourth round, they were starting to call out where what he had been doing the previous rounds versus what he was trying to do now. Where for you know, for example for example, he's he's sitting there and he's trying he's trying to hit a cut or something the the rest of the time and then he's gonna go complete opposite on this time because he's trying to do something different and catch up and it's more you really in those moments need to back off and hit the shot that's in your bag and just trust your ability moving forward and the other thing i think i honestly just think it was a war of attrition where but he played 30 holes on the on the final day for for whatever reason the how the I and I mean Nick Taylor won playing 32 holes eventually, but still I think it was the war of attrition of he was being you know he got out there the first day went so low got the full round in didn't even get to play on the second day had to play a round and a half on or a round and a quarter round and a third on the second day and then asked to basically. Be, play another round and a half on the final day. I think it was just the war of attrition got to him. I, I and I'm, I'm not going to blame him. I do think still a superstar in the making going to, I going to win one or two events this year. I do believe that for where the game has come, but I think it was a matter of just everything culminating into one thing. It was just way too much in the moment, just too physically exhausting. And then getting into his head that, I'm tired. Maybe I should start hitting this shot and just try to save myself some strokes and going away from the initial game plan, which I, I mean, I can't, I can't blame him. He was, he was asked to do a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. I want to say his, um, and I, I, again, I don't mean this in like a, a bad way, but his career immaturity a little bit of just how young he is still as a pro didn't do him any favors in a situation like this, where there was just chaos going at all spots. I mean, the quick turnaround, obviously playing so many holes on the final day, um, just the mental and physical fatigue of it all. It looked like it did really kind of collect and wear on Sahith. And I felt like too, like he 
basically was in the same position as Nick Taylor on 12 or 13. And it's just kind of one of those reminders that you don't know how golf tournaments are going to end. Like Charlie Hoffman was lighting the world on fire for the first 15 holes. He makes birdie at 15 to get to 21 under. And you're like, shit, no one's catching Charlie Hoffman. Right. But he goes and pars those final three and leaves it at 21 to leave someone with a chance. And we really didn't see Nick Taylor make that elite run until he hit, you know, the 15th there. And Sahit was still in the mix if he pieced it together late. But it felt like by the time he already got to that point, he like accepted defeat a little bit. And I feel like that's just an uncontrollable thing that, dude, I mean, even when I golf and I'm golfing like crap, you know, I hit the 13th and it's like, well, this round stinks even though you don't know how those final five, six holes are going to go until you ultimately play them. So uh, I felt like it was a little bit of just a a tough situation, like you said, for Sahith. But, dude, I was absolutely gutted because I was really rooting for him on that Sunday. And when he made those two birdies to kick off uh, the back nine and was one back, I want to say, at a time until Charlie Hoffman made another birdie, uh, I really thought that, I was really hoping that he had flipped a switch, but that, that three putt that he had on that par three really took him out of it. But like you said, I, I believe there are still a lot of good things ahead for Sahithi Gala. And not only do I feel like he's going to win once or twice this year, I do like his chances this week at Riviera a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to bet it, but it's a golf course that he's done well at in the past. And it feels like he's kind of a course horse type of guy, but I think it's just inevitable. I don't know if it's going to be next year, five years, 10 years down the road. Sahith is winning a, a waste management Phoenix open, right? Like it's going to happen eventually. Oh, oh, I mean, definitely. You and I were already laughing uh, when they were doing the coverage of his dad wearing the t-shirt. And I literally text you out, out of nowhere. Just, just so you know, I bought that shirt. Like, oh, dude. I, 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 I had to, I had, I had to, I had to buy that shirt. I will be so proud to rock it. But speaking of rooting, I needed to know, did you catch any of the glimpses of Adam Hadwin on 18 for Nick Taylor yesterday? Uh, I admittedly did not. I had two screen action going on, so I was kind of just, you know, going up and down with the eyes. I didn't catch Adam Hadwin, but was he on full alert for those security guards, I'm guessing? Um, Adam Hadwin was literally wearing the exact same outfit from the RBC Canadian Open down to the jeans, the exact same hoodie, hat, everything, to where I had to repost. Someone posted, he's literally asking for it right now. That's hilarious. I wonder if that was, like, part of the plan. Like, hey, I did this for Nikki last time. Like, I got to throw him another bone and put on that same outfit. Or, like, that's a really interesting thinking point because did Adam Hadwin pack that same outfit hoping that maybe he would win or another Canadian would win leading up to the tournament now you got me on like a whole different type of rabbit hole here Ross I I I will find the picture and I will send it to you when we're done but it is hilarious where it's literally he looks like he's just asking for it again (laughs) I also might need you me that link to the uh Sahithi Gala shirt because uh I might need to purchase one of those myself as a big Sahith. Uh yeah, you have to purchase it by I think Wednesday this week. The thing closes. It's a limited edition. So I will send that to you. Appreciate that, brother. Um anything else you got from the waste management before we we move on that? I think we covered it all, but not sure if you got any final thoughts. No, but I think that was it. You know, gr- great finish to pick up the weekend and get get it back on track. Um a little bit surprised with the PGA. I, I kind of was this is a good point. I, I, I was kind of, I mean, we're big sticklers on the PGA and how they handle things, 
I was really impressed with how they kind of reacted and did things in the moment. I don't think they made the best choices, but I think they made better choices than we normally would see. I thought it was a big thing for them, you know, not to redo the holes in everything for the fourth round, not to do the regroup. Just when you finish on 18, you head back to one and you start again. And Again, it wasn't an ideal situation. Maybe I would have liked them to be a little bit more proactive on Saturday. And again, I don't know realistically how many options they truthfully had, and they might have made the best situation out of it possible. But like like you said, at the end of the day, they they had to get it in on Sunday, man. They absolutely had to get it in on Sunday, and, and they did that. So I will give them a little bit of credit for that effort. As much flack as we sent to the PGA Tour, um, it still produced a great finish, a great leaderboard, a lot of reasons for the big golf fans to still be tuning in throughout the Super Bowl. And like I said, it was the first half of the Super Bowl was awful, bro, was awful. So golf kind of filling in to give the excitement there. I personally really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I think I'm, I think we missed a field goal in, in the Super Bowl. So where I, I literally sat there and I was just watching Nick Taylor, I want Nick Taylor and the Seagull and see who comes out on top. So <laughs> o- over overall, a gr- great finish to what wasn't the best week for the PGA overall. Absolutely. And for w- one more time, much respect and much credit to both Nick Taylor and Charlie Hoffman, because even though there was only one winner, they both played unbelievable in that Sunday final round and both put on a, a firework finish for the fans who stayed there. I mean, like I said, birdieing those first two holes, each of them uh, playing just some really solid golf and an electric finish. So was really happy to see that kind of conclusion to the tournament all in all. But I will say, Ross, it felt like for the second consecutive week a little bit, not as much as the week prior for sure, but it felt like it was a little bit of an opportunity for Live Golf once again as they were in Las Vegas. They had a 54-hole tournament that wrapped up on Saturday as part of their plan to finish assuredly ahead of the Super Bowl. Another pretty good finish. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau was the leader heading into the final round. Dustin Johnson ends up coming back to chase him. Taylor Gooch, who has randomly been like the John Rahm of live golf since he went over there, was in contention once again. Uh, Matt Wolf played some good golf for the first time in a while. Look, I don't think it did some massive numbers or anything, but we were talking a little bit before air. You can't ignore live golf any longer it feels like it felt like they put together another pretty solid tournament and had a good plan of how to go about it uh despite you know their players getting punished for winning golf tournaments that's another conversation but what'd you make of of live golf and dustin johnson's win it's literally like like you said and like we kind of chatted about it's becoming relevant even though you don't if you're a diehard bga person you don't want to admit it. It's becoming relevant. They, they, they have they have the players and they ha- they have a product like everything else. You can if it's the music, what the team, whatever your turn off to it may be. The golf game is elite on that tour still. They ha- they have the people they have for a reason. And you and I covering golf, we can't be narrow minded. We have to expand and we you know, we have to take looks. Dustin Johnson played great again, came and, got, came and got a huge win against an elite field. And then I checked the world rankings today, and Dustin Johnson fell from 218th in the world, which I, wa- I was wrong last week. I was off by 30 spots. He was 218th in the world, not 248th, and I will admit my error there. But um, 
even though he won at 218 in the world, uh, he woke up today to find out he's now 231st in the world. He fell 13 spots. I'll tell you what, Dustin Johnson needs to be 52 years old before he belongs in the 200s in the official world golf ranking, brother. And again, I'm aware that these were issues that players, even though they might have been told differently, they were still aware they were issues at that point in time when they signed with Live Golf. And there's still issues, obviously, right here, right now. That's not my problem with it. My problem with it is it's just flat out wrong. I, I don't know how we're getting to this point where Dustin Johnson's in the 200s. I think, what's he won three times now on Live? I want to say either yep. twice and, or three and- times. This is his third win on Liv, and he's basically finished inside the top ten in almost every event Liv has ever had. So, but when you when you're considering the people that are in this field, like John Rahm is world number three and is on Liv. You know, Waco's on Liv, and Waco's in the Waco's in the seventies. He's beating players that are higher in the world ranking than him. How does that justify him falling thirteen spots? And another thing we have to consider is where these guys were in the world ranking before they went to live. Cameron Smith was number two or number three. He was super high up there. Bryson DeChambeau, even though he was at a down point, I don't see how you can't call Bryson DeChambeau with what he's done in the last like calendar year, not one of the top 25, 30 golfers in the entire world. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what starts to happen with John Rahm's official world golf ranking points. Now, obviously he doesn't have the concerns about the major championships or getting eligible into those, but it's going to be a fascinating scene when he does start to fall from that number three spot, because it's inevitable. We've seen what happened to Dustin Johnson. We see what's happening to everyone else. And again, we know what John Rahm is. We've watched him for so long. You can't tell me that he's going to fall outside of the top 50 and we're going to, supposedly respect what the official world golf ranking stands for. You know what I mean? I feel like John Rahm is going to be the real tipping point. I mean, it's going to be one of those things where they're going to knock him down. And all of a sudden you and I are going to be doing an episode like this being like, Oh, John Rahm is now 65th in the world. And then he's going to show up to Augusta and win it by like eight shots. And listen, I love guys like Chris Kirk and Denny McCarthy, but there's probably going to be a point where those guys are like higher rated than John Rahm in the official world golf rankings. And all of us true golf fans are going to look around saying, what the fuck does this even mean anymore? It, it, it literally is going to get to the point where when Dustin Johnson now shows up at the next, at the next major. So, which I mean, presumably he should be at Augusta because he has exemption he for it. Um, so when Dustin Johnson goes to Augusta and kicks everyone's ass, uh, I think you just offset it and go, who's the highest ranked player that Dustin Johnson finished higher than in in the Masters? Give him, give him their world ranking. That's how we're going to offset. I, I mean, I don't know. Logistically, you would think that's the way that it would operate, but obviously we know that is not the case in the world of golf. Is there are a lot of confusing things about it? Before we do move on, though, Again, I just kind of want to reiterate that I never really watched Live Golf the first year, year and a half of its inception. I was sitting around on Saturday afternoon with one of my buddies watching some UFC fights, watching some afternoon hockey, and I pulled out my laptop to turn on YouTube TV and watch the end of Live Golf. And until two weeks ago, really, I hadn't done that. So I know that may seem like something small, but even as someone like me who I wouldn't say I've bashed what live golf is doing. I I think I've more so bashed how it's affecting the fans until something ultimately gets figured out. Um, 
But it's gotten to a point where, again, you can't deny it and it's relevant. And I feel like I have to turn on to watch it now. And I think that says something. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's been the same way for me. Just it, it's at a point where, you know, us doing our job and being the guys with a golf show, it, you need to have you can't be narrow minded that you, you have to look. And it's on every week where I'll put it, I'll stream it on my laptop. Obviously PGA is on the big TV, everything I'll put on my laptop and I will continually go over and check and follow the stream and see what's going on over there. And it does look like we have a comment in our comment section from from Michael DJ will be a threat at Valhalla this year. Honestly, the the way that DJ has been playing recently, I think DJ is coming to kick some ass in every opportunity that he has. And I think you're, I'm not going to be surprised to see DJ show up and make noise at every major that he's able to, an event he's able to participate in. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after a little bit of a down year last year. And I don't want to say people forgot about him, but he's just not as in the spotlight like he once was just a few years ago because of his departure to live golf. But that's one of those guys who doesn't, it feels like doesn't really need an extra chip on their shoulder. And I feel like DJ is going to have one this year. Shout out my boy, Mad Dog for tuning in the show. Appreciate you, Mike. Uh, I do believe DJ Valhalla is a really good spot for him. Uh, Just those more difficult, longer U.S. Open style venues, which is kind of what the PGA Championship has turned into, I think is a really good spot for him as well. And just really fascinated all in all to see how these guys hang in the majors this year. I mean, it's going to be a major talking point even more now that they got John Rahm and Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson. And God, you think about all these guys and these are really the big winners of the big boy events. Like, again, there's no denying what Live Golf has at this point in time, Ross. Yeah, I mean, it. they are relevant, whether people want to embrace it or not. They are relevant. The product that they have, at least in terms of the game being played for, on the weekends, even though it's three, it's three rounds, but for those three rounds, the, the game is elite. I concur, and I'm probably going to be tuning into it more, so we'll see what's in store for live moving forward. But I think that probably should take us to this week's Genesis invitational. My friend, we've gone 45 minutes of this episode without really getting into the creme de la creme here, which is tiger freaking woods making his first start in an official PGA tour event since last year's masters. We did see him at the hero world challenge in December, obviously, but that's not a sanctioned PGA tour event. He's been the tournament host of this one since 2020 and we're going to see him play for the first time in a while, Ross. Tell me a little bit about your feelings of Tiger being back this week, because I know you're all geared up in the Tiger outfit for the show. Well, not only is Tiger back this week, but I am so excited that after over two and a half months of me deep diving, sleuthing, going through the internet live on our show, we're able we're able to break that after all of this, Tiger Woods and Taylor made his official for Sunday Red. And it felt like that was always the most likely situation. And we've heard some rumblings in the last couple of days that was going to be the case, but now we got it officially official. What what do you kind of make of everything? Because there were some leaks in the last few days that had some people concerned, but all in all, I was pretty happy with everything they put together. A little pleasantly surprised, I would say. I, I don't hate it. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was when we first saw some of the renderings and things, I was like, yeah, I don't know. But then you and I did a deep dive and saw like 
the new tiger logo has 15 stripes for the 15 majors like all that like being encompassed into a new brand and from what they released um within the hour while you know you and i've been checking through everything from what i've seen i I like it and it's gonna be in my closet i'm just gonna admit it now that anything that tiger puts out i'm gonna buy as we can clearly see so oh but overall just a huge week to have tiger back because let's be honest tiger puts asses in the seats asses on the couch at home you i don't know what we're going to see out of tiger i don't know where the game is um but overall just as a person tiger looks happy and for for whatever reason i i find that dangerous i i like a a smiling tiger i like a tiger that seems to be mobile out there i mean the way that he was able to get around at the hero world challenge despite finishing 18th out of 20 people in that field. I don't think anyone really expected him to like flirt with contention or to really play all that well, given how long it had been from him removed from some serious competition, but you have to be encouraged by the way that he handled those 72 holes out in Albany and just all the the videos and the footage, the PNC championship stuff. It truly looks like not only is he healthier than ever, but because of that feels like he's able to enjoy his life again. And spending time with Charlie and teaching him the game and being a father figure for him. It's just, it's really cool and wholesome to see Tiger Woods uh, for the first time in a while. I don't want to say like at a place of peace, but just looks like a much more content guy at this point in time than the last couple of years when he was just battling to walk out there. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it looks like he's enjoying just being a dad and embracing like this back nine of his career. You know, you and I talked about it a little bit earlier. They named um, he he went out and he ended up pick, picking his caddy, and then fr- from there it kind of looks like moving forward. Um, j- just moving forward in general. Um, you know, we're having Lance Bennett on the bag this this week, where Lance is well known around the around the tour. He's carried for Matt Kuchar, won the players on the bag with Matt Kuchar, but also he's been around the LPGA tour. He's been, he's been around with Bill Haas and it's you and I kind of talked about, we think it's almost going to be like a Rolodex for Tiger with people on the bag this year where it's really hard for someone to commit to Tiger Woods when he's only going to play, you know, several events at, at least at this point this year, you're not going to get someone like Joey LaCava to come off the bag for Patrick Cantlay to carry for Tiger. Joey is going to make so much more money carrying that bag for Patrick with Patrick playing every single week. But in, in this in this case, um, you're better with the name than I am for Adrian. Adrian Dumont de Chazé. It's a name yep. that probably people should get familiar with because even though he has gotten off to a little bit of a, a shaky start to his full-time PGA Tour career, this was a highly touted amateur who did really well at the University of Illinois here, kind of in our backyard to where I am. It's about three hours away, but a really, really prestigious collegiate golfer who, unlike Ludwig Aberg, it's supposed to be difficult when you transition from college to the PGA Tour, right? Like not everyone makes that transition look seamless and goes and plays Torrey Pines for the first time and finishes top 10 and goes and plays Pebble for the first time and finishes runner-up. That that shouldn't be the expectation. So I do uh, think there are really good things coming coming for Adrian Dumont de Chazé, but he obviously is not in the signature events as of right now. He's not in the Players' Championship, which kind of feels like after this week could 
potentially be the next one circled for Mr. Tiger Woods leading up to the Masters. And it feels like because unless something drastic happens with Adrian and look, who knows? It's the year of the underdog. I mean, guys are just winning at random odds these days, so I'm not ruling it out. Uh, But unless something drastic happens, it feels like Lance Bennett is going to be available for the Players' Championship as well. And you referenced he won there with Matt Kuchar back in 2012. So I do believe it is going to be a little bit of a roll index. And like you said, it's hard for people to commit full-time to Tiger Woods when his schedule is up in the air. You know, it it makes life a little bit more complicated. But I do feel like it's going to be Lance Bennett this week, and I wouldn't doubt we see Lance Bennett uh, at TPC Sawgrass as well in March. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be sticking with the older, more veteran caddies. Like, I, I'm not going to be surprised if we see Bobby McIntyre back on the bag at some point this year again, just like he just like he was for the hero and, and everything for Tiger. But I don't know if you saw the little tidbit in the cut for this week's tournament that it, the way you read it, it basically looks like there's a loophole for with tiger hosting the event if tiger's in contention the cut line may move just a little bit to maybe get tiger to the weekend you need to get tiger to the weekend and he was the one who apparently like pushed for this cut line because there wasn't a cut at pebble beach there obviously wasn't a cut in the first of the three signature events at the century when that was only a 50 man field or whatever it may be there's only 70 or or maybe 71 players this week i think they're still officially sorting it out um but tiger was apparently the one who like vouched for there to be a cut and the cut's gonna be like the top 50, I want to say, but if you're 10 strokes off of the lead, you're still going to make the cut. So the cut realistically might be like six or seven guys. I, I don't really understand I, I think, why Tiger made a cut when it probably would have helped him if he just said no cut. You know what I mean? We need it, Tiger it, on the weekends, my guy. I, I believe the cut is set at 52, but it will revert to the, within 10 strokes of the lead if if needed. Um, which I, I just took that as Tiger maybe throwing his own loophole in there for if I'm anywhere close, make sure I get there on the weekend. I, I think so as well. And we need to get Tiger to the weekend. Look, this is a sick field. We'll get into that in just a second here. But Tiger Woods in alone of itself, it's going to put so many more eyeballs throughout the course of the weekend, especially being the week after football when people are like, uh, what do I do now on Saturday and Sunday? Like this is potentially a good opportunity for the PGA tour to capitalize. So yeah, kind of doing everything that they can to get Tiger Woods into that cut to play the weekend. But before we kind of get into the tournament in and alone of itself and the wicked field that we got on tap this week at Riviera, um, if, if you had, uh, look, I, I know we don't really, we, you said you don't really know what to expect from Tiger. I feel the same way. What would you consider a win out of Tiger Woods this week? A is I mean, A is going to be just moving around the mobility, yeah. Not not in pain, not 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 in distress. Just looking looking smiles. comfortable, S- smiles, and enjo- enjoying playing and being out there in a competitive event. I mean, if we make the cut, that's a, that's going to be a huge thing in general. But I, I think if if we were to have A and B occur within ten shots. Come, come round four on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think that would be a huge victory in general. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree, especially because 
we we have only seen Tiger in five official events, I want to say, since he had that single vehicle car crash. Six total, if you include last year's Hero World Challenge. But what's even kind of tougher to gauge about it is, yeah, Tiger hasn't played very well ever since that single vehicle car crash. But it, it's like he's playing, he's played in the toughest fields on the toughest courses and his body wasn't a hundred percent right. So obviously there aren't reasons to be optimistic about Tiger Woods going into this week because you don't really have any background to go off of. Um, but I still feel like even though this is the place that he's played at the most without having a win in his career, I still feel like his knowledge of this place now that he is fully healthy is, is going to allow him to do more than maybe people anticipate going into this week. And I'm not trying to like highball Tiger Woods or anything, but all I'm saying is, I think making the cut and surviving through four days, looking comfortable, looking natural more so than anything like he can handle it and can still handle it moving forward. Maybe not as regularly, but still looking capable out there. I think that's achievable. And yes, I absolutely think that would be a win because this is a really good field we have this week. And if Tiger is within 10 of the leader going into the weekend, that that's gotta be a win. Yeah. And I, I think this is the first time, possibly in his life that I, I think people are treating this with little to no expectation for him. That's they, a really I, good think point. He, I, I, I think this is literally, I mean, think about it. He's on the late show and shit when he's two years old putting, right? I, I think now at 48 years old, this might be the first time in his life that there is not a huge expectation on him right now. I think people are just enjoying the fact like, Oh, he's back. That that's good. He he he's back. He he drives the game to an elite level just being present. So I think it's just people are excited that you can turn on the TV and you can watch Tiger Woods this week. Like that that is awesome in general. And I think that's the lone expectation is we just want to see him play. It doesn't matter how he plays. And I think that's big for him because it literally it might be the first time in his life that he doesn't have an expectation about his game. Yeah, that's a really good point that that you bring up there. And I wonder if that's going to resonate with him at all mentally. If I mean, he's probably just so geared up that he's been in the same zone forever and forever, but I do wonder if that allows him to be a little bit more free and comfortable and relaxing out there because even if he does, you know, finish dead last, it's like, Oh, it's his first official start and so on and so forth. What did we really expect from Tiger Woods when he hasn't been this healthy uh, on the TPC sawgrass? Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Top 40 at TPC sawgrass. I, I do want to say before we move on and get into thoughts of this tournament real quick, I want to warn everyone. I know it is tempting to bet Mr. Tiger Woods. And if you have optimism on him this week, God bless your soul. But do not go and bet the loot on Tiger Woods at 130 to one because you see some juicy odds. Again, bless your heart. I, I appreciate your courage, but I felt like I had to give this warning to everyone before the Masters last year. Tiger still made the cut. That's the bet we always take at Augusta, baby. He always makes the cut, but anything above that, I think, is a, a little bit of a reach. But I'm excited to see Tiger back in action, obviously, and excited to see this incredible field on tap, Ross, because. Obviously, with Tiger being back and Riviera, a signature event, this is just a jam-packed 70-player field. We got nine of the top ten in the world golf rankings. Everyone who's left on the PGA Tour, basically the who's who is here except for uh, Justin Rose. And there is one more that skipped out that I'm forgetting off of the top of my head. But basically, everyone's here. Scheffler. Rory, Xander, Cantlay, Homa, Victor, all the big dogs were here. Out of, out of those uh, big guns, if you will, Ross, which one are uh, you 
the most high on at this point at, at the week entering the Genesis Invitational out of the big guns? Out of the big guns, I have been spinning the wheels in my mind about, is this where we see Victor finally? The Victor that we saw last season dominating everything. Just, he hasn't looked the same. You know, he pulled he pulled out of a couple events because he wanted to work on his game. He he wasn't fe- he wasn't feeling like it was all there. I, I'm just he's just too good to stay dormant this long. Yeah, I agree. And it has been a rather quiet start to the year for Victor Hovland. He withdrew from the tournament prior to the start last week, so he can go and work a little bit more. But his tee to green game, what we saw last week, and even what we saw in the major championships, even though he didn't get the outcome, it feels like on these types of courses, that's where his skill set really comes into play. And just a quick breakdown on Riviera Country Club. I wrote a little bit of a course preview article breaking down the field and some key stats that I'm going to be looking at when going into this week's betting card and all that good stuff. Go and check that out at ONTAP Sportsnet if you haven't done so already. But uh, my breakdown of Riviera Country Club is it's just a demanding, tough, test my friend it's one of the most pristine golf courses in all of the united states it's classical it's not the longest course in the entire world but there's a lot of dog legs there's narrow fairways some of the most difficult and pesky fairway and greed side bunkers on the entire pga tour and around the greens even though the fairway rough which is kakuya we only see that here and at tory pines on the schedule even though it's not all that punishing in the fairway it is real punishing around the greens because it just tends to stick to your club and guys who aren't used to it aren't really as comfortable because you only see it a couple of times on the PGA tour schedule year in and year out. So it's a real demanding test. You got a lot of long par fours. You got to score on the par fives. It really does feel like it's kind of a U.S. Open PGA Championship type of venue. And the interesting part about that, Ross, is obviously with Nick Taylor winning last week at 170 to 1, the year of the long shot continues on. But I mean, I sound like a broken record at this point. It feels like this is the one that's going to break it, right? Yeah. And we can debate about it. Someone posted an article, the year of the long shot. They included Wyndham Clark in there at 100 to 1. A 10 to 1's a push for me uh, on a long shot, especially when we're coming to the game of golf. When the when the favorite sits at, that's, you know. No, that's like, 100 to 1. That's 100 to 1. Yeah. So, no, so, no Wyndham, Wyndham's was 100 to 1. That's not, that's not yeah. 10. But or, it, or, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you know what I mean. But, like. He 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 is a guy. He is a guy that should be lower, but he was just on a bad stretch. That he is the outlier of that group. Wyndham Clark isn't a long shot. His odds were just a long shot that week. Yeah, I kind of threw that one out of year of the long shot where we we had we had um, a a top player come and get an event. But I do think this is where we're going to get one of the top players again. Um, Like you were saying, with how Riviera plays with the Kuya and everything. I like the California boys. So I, I like the group of like the Shoffley, the Homa, the Cantleys. Uh, I the, the people that play out there and are familiar with it. 
because they play on it and they play those types of courses because that's where they're based. I think these are, I think this is that West Coast swing that obviously we've said it every other week and it has not worked out that way based on the year of the long shot. But these are the courses that play to those guys that are stationed there. This is where they make their home. It's, it is their base. These are the types of courses that they play routinely throughout the year. This, these are their practice courses are what we deem the toughest courses on the tour. Yeah. And what's funny about you saying just guys who are more comfortable in California um, and just on these types of green surfaces and with this type of fairway and greenside rough, it's no surprise when you kind of look at the, the players that have won this, this tournament uh, three of the past four years have been guys with real strong records in California. Max Homa obviously won here in 2021 was runner up last year to John Rahm as well. He's someone who's done basically all of his best work in his career in California. John Rahm himself has also had a very solid year in California, winning at Torrey Pines. Uh, the Farmers Insurance Open there for his first win, along with the U.S. Open as well. And then Adam Scott, who won here back in uh, 2020. Yeah, 20, yeah, 2020. Man, these years are going by too fast these days. Yeah, he won back here in 2020, and he's won at Riviera twice, been a really good West Coast guy. And in Australia, Kakuya is actually a little bit more of a common surface out there. So Australians are a little bit more comfortable, but it's just, again, a reminder that players who are more familiar with these type of elements in this type of environment seem to do well here, as well as just guys that are really good ball strikers. The uh, odd man out in the last four winners that I didn't mention was Joaquin Neiman. And what is he known for? His incredible ball striking, hits it long, hits it straight, really good with his irons, was the wire-to-wire winner here a couple of years ago. So, man, I know I've been saying it a lot, but it really feels like we're going to see one of those elite ball strikers with long distance who has a good track record on the West Coast. It feels like it's breaking for one of those tournaments. And you mentioned some of the really good California guys. Max Homa is obviously going to be very popular this this week, even though his last couple of weeks haven't been very good. I think there's no denying his course history here, and that's going to attract people to him. Patrick Cantlay has some really good history here. Xander Shoffley is a California guy who is off to a little bit of a slow start this season, but a killer in California as well. I do agree that those are, I think the guys that are going to get a lot of eyes this week. Adam Scott is someone who I I was targeting early on this morning and his odds actually got slashed already, Ross. I'm pretty upset that I didn't jump on that train a little bit earlier because I feel like this is a good spot for him, but um, still early on in the week, I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what I want to do with everything. Uh, And by the way, again, to anyone out there who is thinking about placing a wager, if you're a first time customer with Bet Rivers, which is our sponsor. Be sure to use the promo code on tap to get up to a $250 match. Ross, out of everyone in the rest of this field, again, it's a, pr- a pretty stacked field. Is there anyone else you were kind of looking at a little bit or, or saw some encouraging signs out of last week or feel like they've done well here in the past that that maybe you would be leaning to? Or was it just kind of those couple of guys at the top, those those California guys? I wasn't sure if there was just anyone that came to your mind real quick. I mean, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's always that California group, which I mean, you could even throw Colin Morikawa is, is in that yep. group of people. Um, I'm not going to be surprised because he's been tinkering around, hasn't really pulled it through yet. 
Ludwig Oberg? Oh, dude, why'd you have to say that to me? Why'd you have to say that to me? Because, man, I, I'm really high on, on Ludwig this week. That's funny that you say that because this was the last thing I was going to leave you with, Ross, and it actually couldn't have gone any more perfect that you said Ludwig because I, I texted this already to Joey. We might be doing a betting show this week. Not exactly sure. I'll make sure to keep everyone tuned in on that. Um, but I texted him my two paths this week. It's... Ludwig and maybe a couple of others, or I might just get ballsy and th throw it all on Scotty because I really feel like Scotty's knocking on the door. And the only question is that putter. And this is a demanding tee to green test. It requires a sharp short game. We know Scotty possesses all of those things. It feels like knock on wood. If I were to back him, I could bank on him being in contention. If you had to lean one way, would you take Scotty or would you take the rest of the field? Ludwig in the rest of the field, I guess you could say. I don't know exactly who it's going to be part of, but if I'm betting Scotty, it, it really limits the rest of my options because he's the odds-on favorite with low odds. So the only the only thing that, unfortunately, this is going to screw you up a little even more, the additional names, only, only because the game's been consistent and coming around. I like someone like Justin Thomas, if they can put it all together, and... Very impressed. He was on my list last week, had a Ooh. very strong finish, and came around. If he can figure out the putting this week, this course does play really well to Cameron Young's strength. I knew exactly where that was going. And, yeah, he had himself a, a really strong weekend. Kind of went Scotty Scheffler before Scotty Scheffler did. Really just, like, crumbled down those final five, six holes. And like you referenced, the putting is – the putting in the short game is really the one thing that kind of held him back, but there's no denying what this guy does with the driver. He basically is Scotty Scheffler with the driver as well. One of the best off of the tee in the entire world. And even when he kind of wavered late last year and into the fall and early on this season, that driver remained a huge weapon and the approach started to come back last week. We saw him throw a lot of darts and he's only played here twice, but another guy with some really good course history. So good call out last week on Cam Young. And he's another guy because he showed some life last week, I think is undoubtedly going to be popular again this week. Yeah. I, I, I think if, I think he probably slept on it and realized that if he just spends a little extra time on the green this week, this week, I do like that because I have had him marked that this is going to be a year for a make or break year for him after the Ryder cup snub last year. I think this is where he needs to follow it up in his career. Really this year, he needs to follow it up. He needs to win some events and he needs to make himself a no doubter to make that president's cup team. And truthfully, these are the types of courses where you feel like Cam Young can weaponize the best part of his game to the most to his advantage, right? Where he can hit these long drives, he can shape it both ways and give himself less yardage in off of the tee. Historically, yeah, you need to be really good all around here. It does kind of tend to favor bombers because... The, the rough fairway rough really isn't all that penal. And so many guys miss the fairways anyway here. They're one of the hardest group of fairways to hit on the PGA tour. So if you're missing fairways, regardless, you'd rather be longer than shorter. Right. And we know Cam Young is long. So yeah, I completely agree that this is a really big, not only a part of the season for Cam Young, it's a really crucial point in his career where, um, 
after a down season last year, he can really, really remind everyone what he can still do and just how special his talent truthfully is from Tita Green, if he can figure a way to be competent enough on the green. So yeah, Cameron Young, someone who popped up in a lot of my models for me, just some real quick, a couple of other guys that I've been looking at. Sam Burns is off to a really good start early on this season. He's someone who I think is interesting. I referenced just Adam just, Scott. Just What'd don't let Sands talk about him. Yeah, right. Holy crap. I'm going to have to find a figure. Let's give Steve Sands a really good offer to go to live. Like, can Greg Norman just throw us one bone and take a guy that we actually want to leave? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, Greg, you could just have him. For real. For real. <laughs> that That is one thing I need to consider. If I want to bet on Sam Burns, I also have to deal with the Steve Sands curse all weekend long. But he was someone who was interesting to me off of the rip. Um, Sahith Gala. I don't know if I'm going to go back this week, but this is another course that he, he has fared well on, on his short PGA tour career. Um, but yeah, going to be getting into it later on throughout the week. Obviously it's still Monday, but a super exciting weekend ahead, Ross. I mean, an unbelievable field Riviera country club. It's a signature event. Tiger freaking woods is back and Lordy just have him get to the weekend. So we could see that Sunday red baby. I, I mean, you know Taylor made is uh, how how much like money do you think they're lining scoring officials like pockets with like maybe shave one or two off here and there just right. get him to the weekend so we can debut Sunday Red within the week that we release we kind of need this marketing right here right now but hopefully Tiger makes it to that point man it's gonna be a really fun weekend ahead anything else you got before we uh, hop on out of here closing in on a minute fifteen but a lot of good talk today my man. Not really, man. Just Tiger's back. Tiger's back. Tiger's back. And everyone enjoy it because, look, I don't want to be that guy, but who knows how long we have in the future. And just enjoy Tiger being happy and enjoying himself. I think that's the biggest thing, right? It feels like it's been a long time since we've seen Tiger Woods enjoying life. So hopefully we'll see a lot of that this weekend. And a lot of good golf, man. I think uh, it's been an excellent stretch here. This four-week stretch is something I always love when you get the Farmers, uh, Pebble Beach, Waste Management, and Riviera. There's going to be a little bit of a lull these next couple of weeks until the Arnold Palmer Invitational when they go to the Florida Swing. So uh, to everyone out there, go and enjoy this weekend of golf. Go and enjoy Tiger Woods teeing it up. Lay back on the couch and enjoy, everybody. For everyone out there, make sure as well, if you haven't done so already, I reminded everyone during the intro of this, but we're now on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So if you get your podcast at either of those two places, make sure to go and show some love, subscribe to the show there. Make sure to go and follow the Golf on Tap page on X as well. That's actually at on Tap Golf. You can find Ross at RossJohn22. Make sure to give him a follow. He's been having a bunch of great articles come out here recently. And as for yours truly, you can find me at Jack Bushman too. I'll be having some of my bets coming out throughout the course of the week. Be on the lookout for my betting preview article coming tomorrow as I kind of hammer things down and figure out exactly where I want to go. Don't know if it's going to be Scotty or uh, Ludwig in the field as of yet, but I'll be getting that all out to you as soon as I know myself and to everyone out there. Just want to say thank you again for tuning in. It really does mean the world to us as we're trying to grow the show and grow this platform. Um, I think me and Ross have a really awesome chemistry and excited to be doing this week in and week out. So thank you to everyone who's been tuning in Ross. I appreciate you always for your time and your knowledge, my man, have a great rest of your night. You too, buddy. <laughs>